I'm David Robinson. And I'm David Jr. And it's time to get back to the fundamentals. So, Dad, can you tell our listeners who George Washington Carver is? Well, I guess that would be an important place to start, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, well, George Washington Carver is, is a scientist, African-American scientist, uh, born in 1864, I believe, in uh, Missouri. He was really born into slavery. This is the part that really got me is that, you know, up to the time he's 12 years old, he had no possessions. He had a Bible. I think that was the only thing he had. And as a young man, he and his mother were kidnapped by some Southern raiders and and sent off to slavery. And, and they were separated and never was able to see his mother again. But he, he was sold to a family, um, Carver, yeah. German family, who uh, raised him. And raised him. Yeah, they raised him. So they're his new owners, you know, basically taught him uh, about life. And uh, he was kind of sickly. So he spent a lot of time kind of indoors and gardening and not doing a lot as much of the physical labor. He wasn't really able to do the physical labor as much, but really had a brilliant mind, just an amazing mind. And I think the thing they noticed early on was that he had a, a, a real knack for gardening, a real knack for um, plants. Mm-hmm. And he, they, as a matter of fact, they, they, he was like the plant doctor. Yeah. Um, you know, they, he could cook, he could clean, he could do, you know, he could, he could do all the, the domestic type things uh, because his body was more frail. But, you know, as he, as he went along, he studied, you know, botany, he studied uh, art. He was an artist uh, and ended up being a, a professor at a university. Um, Tuskegee University. Uh, he met Booker T. Washington, and uh, together they were able to kind of build that place and and give it a great name. and And ultimately, his focus, Carver's focus, was the m- minorities in the South, their lives, the quality of their lives was horrible. If you were a young African American uh, person during that time, there was almost no way. Even if you were free, there was no way to um, really make a living. And uh, the cotton had kind of burnt out the land at that time. Um, They had continually planted cotton. It was the cash crop, Uh, but it was tearing up the land. After so many years, they couldn't plant anymore. And so he said, look, if you really want to be a successful um, farmer, what you need to do is plant some nitrogen-rich products into into the land and help revitalize it and rotate those crops. Plants like peanuts, like soybeans, like sweet potatoes, Mm -hmm. that will replenish that land. And unfortunately, at the time, there was no market for any of those things. People said, peanuts, are you kidding me? That's, that's, why would I grow a bunch of trash and waste a few years trying to get my land back together? And so he he went about trying to say, hey, guess what? We can make things out of peanuts. He came up with hundreds of products out of the peanuts and everything from oils to paints, uh, to glues, to food. Yeah. To, 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 you know, peanut milk, all types of things and, and made it a viable product for them in the South. And, um, and so, you know, he, he said, well, you know, sweet potatoes, what can we do with sweet potatoes? What can we do, you know, with these soybeans and by himself made it a huge difference in the quality of lives uh, of, of people in the South. He wanted to teach them. He built a truck that had books and it was, it was a really kind of a moving school. 
and went around and taught farmers, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you increase your production. You, this is how you, you, you renew your fields and almost single-handedly kind of transformed an economy in the South that was so heavily based on cotton. But he was a complicated person. <laughs> well, he was a person, which means we, you know, like us all, you know, he has, he had his own challenges personally. And, but, uh, but he was known as a, as a, um, you know, for a fairly humble man. He was known as a man who uh, had opportunities. I know uh, Ford, Henry Ford wanted to, to hire him and he had other opportunities to go and make a lot of money. And, but he was so dedicated to what was happening there in the South and the people in the South that, you know, he really spent his life trying to improve their lives, which really kind of makes him a hero to all of us today. It just made sense to me to really build a school system and a, and a school philosophy on a person like this who was committed to education. His, his entire life was committed to education. And he was a man who came from slavery. So I don't care what our students, where they come from. Our students were not born into slavery. Our students did not face the challenges that he faced growing up. And so for us, it's, a, it's an opportunity to say to our kids, you can overcome any situation. No matter what, where you come from, it doesn't matter. Carver, one of Carver quotes that I like to quote, it's just a powerful quote, but it says, start where you are, use what you have, make something of it, and never be satisfied. And coming from a guy who really did that, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a great encouragement to all of us. And what I always try to tell the kids, our kids, is that we're standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, I'm standing on Carver's shoulders. You guys can stand on mine. And hopefully one day you'll have people standing on your shoulders. But that's how we can get where we need to get, right? We don't have to reinvent the wheel, but we do have to remember where we come from and be able to build on it. And and what about when he went to go speak in front of Congress? That's always a story that, that stuck out. Yeah, no, I mean, he was uh, he was invited because of the work he was doing in the agricultural world down in the South really re revitalizing and really changing the economy down in the South. Uh, Congress invited him to come up and talk about, you know, his work. You know, apparently they weren't overly um, enthusiastic about what he had to say. So they had him, they set him for the last 15 minutes of the session. Mm -hmm. And uh, he got up, he was a very simple man. He put on, he had a, a $2 suit on and he always wore a fresh flower. Every day would put a fresh flower in his lapel. And so he came up this very unimpressive looking man in a very simple suit uh, and started addressing Congress, started talking about the work that he had been doing with the peanut and how all of these products came from the peanut and how it was it was going to transform the South. And and Congress uh, was was so enamored with what he had to say. He spoke for over an hour and a half and they invited him to come back. Hmm. And that was at the end of a session where, <laughs> you know, they weren't overly enthusiastic about staying an hour and a half after the session. But but this man was, uh, you know, so compelling uh, in the work that he was doing and, and in his humility that uh, you know, they just they fell in love with him. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's interesting, you know, with these historical figures, mm -hmm. especially growing up, getting to see all of your work with Carver Academy, and he's an iconic figure, especially in in Black history, right. uh, in American Black history, and what he did with the peanut and what he did with just for science and for the South, it's it's incredible. Yeah, but when you actually get into it and and start to read 
his words and his letters and actually see the, the actual man, you just, you see he's flawed like everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I guess one of the things that stuck out to me, yeah, very good reason, I think, for his flaws, you know, he was... He was raised as an orphan in slavery, right. and his his father was killed. Um, his mother was abducted and never seen again. His owner sent someone who then you know brought back the baby, but never found the mother. Yeah. So he grew up an orphan in slavery and had, I think, a lot of a lot of insecurities. And yeah, absolutely. And, and when he he didn't go out and do a lot of the farm labor. He was inside and he was doing, he was working with plants. And, and I think a lot of the, the white people in his life always saw him as special and different. Right. One thing that constantly comes up. And when you read biographies about his life, he, he really nurtured this almost Jesus Christ type persona in himself because all of the white people, they, that came into contact, he was so curious and he was, eloquent and he was fragile and you know thoughtful and and they thought he was different than other black people yeah and and that's why he was special and you see that in his persona and when he you know when he starts to make it he sees himself as other yeah uh and and of course he 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 spent the rest of his life trying to go back and devote himself to the black race but he also really really treasured the fact that he was something else and, and something yeah. special. Well, which, I mean, I don't, I don't think many of us could even imagine, you know, what that life is like, right? There's, I mean, just reading it, you know, to me, reading some of his letters and reading some of what happened. I mean, just, just think about the phrase, his owners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious. Wait a second. His owners. He was sold into slavery. You know, he had no choice. And then his owners could do whatever they wanted with him. And I remember I've, I've read plenty of his letters and, and, and I've, you know, you're right. I think he had a, a sense that he was, he was special. And I, I know that, you know, from his letters and from some of the books that, that he and Booker T. Washington bumped heads many, many times over ego. Both of them had a pretty good ego, but I guess you can't accomplish what, you know, the types of things those two guys accomplish without having some level of ego. I, I can kind of attest to that. I'm playing yeah, basketball. Exactly. I, you know, if you're going to play at the pro level, your ego has to, my, my ego is, is a little bit overblown. Uh, and, and I had to learn how to adjust the rest of my life around that and, and, uh, you know, you can't have that big ego when you come home. I mean, you got to figure out how to how to make those adjustments. But in order to be great, you got to really believe in yourself and you got to really believe in your potential and the opportunity that you have. And so I, I do think Carver had all of those things. Right. Incredible belief in himself. And I think he knew that he was special. And, and he was a shameless self-promoter, a shameless self-promoter. <laughs> so it's funny because you always and a lot of people, I think, from the you know, from the older generation, they, they look at social media and they look at, you know, people and they just, just can't stand it. Oh, it's look at me, look at me, look at me. They just, people in the past just didn't have that. But Carver, I mean, you look at his, his, his letters, he was constantly, he was like, oh, did you see this article written about me? And then he wouldn't just name the article, he would name the source so that person can go and find it. Yeah, and and, and that's so, true. you know, it's, it's not something that is, just popping up now. It's, yeah. it's something that has always been a, a need for people to be remembered. And I mean, I think there is, are some positives. Carver pushing out his story, whether it was 
ego or insecurity or just he understood the larger marketing and branding of getting his story out there. Yeah. Probably a mix of it all. Yeah. Uh, which social media is another version of it where you know, beforehand you just had articles and biographies by and word of mouth right word of mouth but yeah. it's just a different format but i always always found that funny because people yeah. people nowadays especially in the older generation cannot stand the look at me look at me <laughs> culture when that <laughs> has been me, around look at me. always did you see what i just did always. no you're right it, it has been around and, and to a certain extent you kind of have to you know let people know if your ideas are different and you are you know special a bit of a visionary you're going to face a lot of headwinds. <laughs> and so I think that that, that lead, lends itself somewhat to, you know, self-promoting. And I think, you know, it's funny. I was just, you know, I think on this podcast, you'll hear me talk a lot about, about a lot about, you know, Bible. Cause I, I'm, I'm, I, a lot of my life is based on scripture. And so I always refer to scriptures because they, they really guide my thinking process. But I was looking in Matthew and in one chapter, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. And then the very next chapter, it says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't go out and brag about when you give money and when you do things. And so it kind of leaves you like, wait a second, do I let my light shine or do I not tell anybody what I'm doing? You know, And I think the difference is, is why are you doing it? In the one chapter, it says, let your light shine so before men and that, that they see your good works and they do what? They glorify your father in heaven. That's not about you. But then the other one is don't do all your works before men to get credit because I promise you that's all the credit you will ever get. Mm. Right? So that's a, that's the difference. And I think that, so self-promotion is not a bad thing. Self-promotion. Self-promotion is a bad thing, but making people aware of what's happening for the right reasons, I think is a great, great thing, right? And especially if you're pointing them in the right direction. And, and I think a lot of what Carver was doing was pointing people in the right direction. And when mm -hmm. I read some of his letters and I've read a ton of his, his personal correspondence, whether it was to his old owners or to, to Booker T. Washington or, you know, to other people who had had some impact in his life. Yes, he's not shy about telling people, these are my ideas. This is what's happening, but constantly kind of drawing attention to his father in heaven, right? Like constantly drawing attention to that bigger picture and and then you see that selflessness we've woven throughout his life where all of those things he's doing for these other people, mm -hmm. right? He's promoting, he's pushing, he's, and he's giving up personal wealth and personal opportunity to do those things. So is that self-promotion shameless in that case? I don't think so. I think that promotion of what, here's what I'm doing, here's where I am, which is proven that he didn't do it necessarily so that you could just pat him on the back, but he was doing it for a larger purpose, right? He was doing it to make life, people's lives better. He was doing it to kind of point to, hey, this is why I was created. This is what, you know, when he talks about the ideas, he came up with the peanut, came up with hundreds of uses for a trash plant. And real uses. You could make meat out of a peanut, right? You could make peanut milk. You could make oils. You could make crayon. He made crayon colors out of a peanut. So he came up with all of this stuff. But when you ask him, where did it come from? He said, 
I sat in my laboratory. I call it God's little workshop. And I would pray. I would say, Lord, tell me about this peanut. And he said, the Lord would open it up to me. And he, and he showed me all of these different things. And so I think that, that you know, having that as a, a real focus and a real reason to, to promote and to talk about and to, you know, get people engaged and interested is all the difference in the world rather than to say, I am so great. I need money. I need fame. And those are things that I don't think he pursued. No, I agree with that. And, and I think it's important for a lot of people to understand that when you do achieve some success, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. Right. Success is not voice. a bad thing. Success, success is a great thing. And it's a platform. Let, let's and, not get that confused at all, right? Like we want, we're, we're building a whole school system so that these kids can experience success. We're not telling them don't go out and do well. We're not telling them if you go make a lot of money, we're going to kind of disown you because that's not what we really want you to do. No. We're telling them, do as much as you can. Use every gift that you have, every opportunity. Just don't forget why you're doing it. Right. And don't forget where you come from. Well, it goes back to perspective, I guess. Exactly, right? When we, I mean, that's, you know, over the last couple of years, for me, that's been a huge deal. Because, we're, you know, we're all living our lives, right? We're all trying to figure out how do we do the best we can in our situation, right? I'm married. I've been married 27 years, and I love my wife. And, and so, you know, for me, it's about perspective, right? It's 27 years. Is, it a, is that a long time or is that just barely getting to know her? Is that giving me opportunity now to get to know her more and deeper? You know, my kids are not in the house anymore. So we spend the whole day together and it's, you know, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But for us, it's a great thing because my perspective is I get to see you in a whole different light now. I've watched you as a mother for 25 years. And now you're, you're my wife, right? Like you're my friend. You're really all I have every day. And I love that. I love that about her. And so I think it's that perspective makes a huge difference. And if you have the wrong perspective, you're going to be miserable. But if you have the right perspective, then it's going to be just a joy. The negative sides of Carver on floating around my head. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I please do. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about it. Because I, that's one thing I, I love about you, David, is that you're you're a critical thinker and, and you know, it's <laughs> the one great thing you do, uh, you do that comes out of raising independent children, um, is that they could go off and be successful. The, the one bad thing is that they're going to question everything you say and everything you do. And so, <laughs> you know, that's one thing you've done. And I, and I love that about you. And, and, and so you, you didn't get a chance to go to Carver Academy, but mm -hmm. your two brothers did. Right. And so, you know, I remember Corey going there and Corey sitting Every day, you know, he felt like, oh, I'm, you know, my dad started the school, so I'm going to help, you know, even as a fourth grader, right? <laughs> he comes in, he says, like, I'm, I'm going to help with everything. So he would go to the principal every day and he sat in her office and ate lunch with her and he would tell her all the things that he noticed that weren't right about the school. <laughs> the the milk was, like inspired, was expired on my thing and this is happening and this is happening. And, and, and so, uh, you know, he, he was, the principal just fell in love with him because he was, you know, he was very honest and, and never backed down. And, uh, and so, that, but that's the type of kid that we produced at Carver. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember kids when they graduated from sixth grade and they went on to high school, they would always call back and say, man, we're bored out of our minds here in the, you know, in the public school. We need something to do. We need to keep our energy up. We need to stay forward in, in our pursuits. And, and I, I love that about the mindset there at the school. We created leaders in, with initiative and 
you know, they knew they were supposed to be being challenged more than they were. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of our impetus to say, we got to go through high school. You know, we can't just send them off and then let them, you know, fall back into the system that is not really supporting them. And so I, I do think there's a lot of things we can do better, you know, in education. I love public school. I was, a, I was a product of public school. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a potential there, but too many kids are falling through the cracks and, uh, and we can't let that happen. We've got to do a better job. And that's what, that's what the charter school system is for, right? It's, it's an experimental public school system to figure out better ways, more effective, more efficient ways that we can educate the larger group. And so we, and that's what we've tried to do through IDEA. I think we're, we're proving that we can do a better job on a, on a larger scale. We're growing to a scale, which I think really makes a difference. And, uh, and so hopefully uh, we can provide some data, some processes that will impact uh, our public school system. I think it's really interesting, the relationships, they were so different, they had so many disagreements, but they had this vision, this greater vision to advance the black race, and, and they saw the importance. And so at the time, you know, they had lots of disagreements, and they went at each other constantly for decades. But then, you know, after, you know, I think Carver, yeah, he was quoted saying, I don't think he ever knew how much I loved him and how much this work meant to me. Mm. And yeah. I think people lo lose sight of that. You know, it's even it's going to take some headbutting and and you might not agree all the time and it might not even feel comfortable. But, you know, in hindsight, you're doing good work together. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's interesting to see the contrast. I mean, we, we, nothing looking back at it is ever as rosy as we want to believe. Right. You know, we look at this country as founded. um and, and on the constitution and it, and, and you look at, it's an amazing country, but, yeah, but it's a country yeah. that had slavery, slavery yeah. killed all the native Americans. <laughs> all men are created <laughs> equal except for those men. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many contradictions, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and yet this document, this constitution has allowed us to correct some of our mistakes and to figure some things out and, and to become a, great nation, really, uh, and historically, one of the greatest nations of all time. And um, and so, you know, one of the great things is you're able to kind of live and learn from your mistakes. And I, you know, watching, you know, people's lives when we start to dig into, whether, uh, whether it's George Washington or whether it's Thomas Jefferson or whether it's uh, George Washington Carver, you know, you're going to find things that, you you know, that are uh, even alarming. But it's it's nice that we can take their legacy and kind of remember the good things that they've done. And, uh, and you know, Carver, we're, you know, we're, we're, we, yeah, we find that he, he disagreed um, and uh, heatedly many times. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, other, other great men um, uh, that he interacted with, he had those disagreements with. But if going back to the pillars, if yeah. you share those pillars, you can have other disagreements. Right. And you can still have respect for the people around you that you disagree with. And that's that is is perspective. Right. That's the key um, to being able to move on, be successful and, and, and have real joy. I mean, Carver was more aspirational. He was very high level. He was a, a researcher and and. And they were just different. I mean, they were different. And, and, types. and Carver was not a fighter. I mean, there was nothing about him that would have said, I want to physically challenge but, you. 
<laughs> so I, I think that that that's a that kind of shapes a little bit of how you approach things when you know you know we can have an intellectual dialogue all day long, right? We can really, but you know, someone whose feet boots on the ground. Hey, we need to make a difference today. Well, a scientist knows that his work may not make a difference today. Right. We, we it may take another day or some failures or years or whatever. And these ideas that I have might not even be right. Right. Like we, we, we've got to build and test them and do all of these things. So, so yeah, they were very different people. Well, and I mean, and going back to what we were talking about, the political realm and it just, it seems like there's so much turmoil and, and even at Tuskegee, yeah, it, it wasn't, peaceful kumbaya and we look i mean we look back in hindsight and tuskegee was this incredible symbol and this incredible people hated carver and carver hated his time there i mean that it it was that but he had he was very isolated a lot of the staff he constantly had battles he constantly wanted more you know yeah and and so it wasn't you know it wall wall that place was getting made it wasn't you know it probably felt very much like congress yeah uh, no question i mean see and that's the thing i think people don't realize it, there's nothing wrong with having different opinions and being different like that's that's going to happen right. like anybody who you know has a wife or has kids knows you're going to be different <laughs> i mean you mm-hmm. know and you're going to butt heads sometimes but there's nothing wrong with that it's how you deal with it right like it's 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 having that bigger picture and saying there's something that's more important than our little disagreement, right. which so, they had, which Carver which and, they, and, and very Booker much T. Washington, so. You're absolutely they, they right. They vision. went head to head on many different right. subjects. But they stayed and, for their and, whole lives. And for, Booker T. Washington made it clear, hey, I'm the leader of this institution and I'm taking the institution where I want to take it and where I think it needs to go. And Carver had some different ideas on maybe where it should have went. And so they butted heads and Carver threatened to leave. And they, I mean, there was all kinds of that stuff going on at the time. However, at the end of the day, they knew that their work together was more important than their individual feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's really what ended up winning, winning the day. The Fundamentals with David Robinsons is produced by Geekdom Media in association with Game Day Media Enterprises. Executive producers are Lorenzo Gomez III and John Garcia. Recorded and engineered by Michael Argent and edited by Jason Barrera. Find out more about the fundamentals at geekdommedia.com. Follow us on social media at Geekdom Media. And learn more about Idea Carver Academy at ideapublicschools.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.